Running Light Ministry Podcast is brought to you by listeners like you. You can support these podcasts by making a gift to the ministries at runninglight.org. Let's do it. Let's do it, man. Let's rock it. Okay, so uh, these are the Better Pleasure Podcasts, and we are with Running Light Ministries. My name's Bo. I'm Peter. And we've been doing these for a while, and these are biblical-based podcasts talking about uh, sexual issues in, in the Bible, and we're getting into some really fun Bible topics for sure, and uh, it's been a blast. Um, today we're going to talk uh, about Dr. David Lay's um, Compulsive Sexual Behavior Disorder in ISD-11 article. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and the subtitle is, what does it, this mean for advocacy against sex addiction diagnosis? So what does this mean for advocacy against sex addiction diagnosis? Now, basically what this is about, let me read a little bit. It's kind of interesting for guys like this, kind of, I don't know what you would call us, like sex geeks or what <laughs> would it I'd be? Say that. <laughs> I don't know if it's that. So I saw much. this one woman on a show recently and she had the title of sexologist. Whoa, I was like, that's kind of cool. Not <laughs> that's not that us. That's not us. But, but I was like, that's kind of a cool title though. <laughs> but we love talking about this topic and how it relates to the Bible for sure. That's right. <laughs> so I don't know if it's called bi- biblical sex geeks or, you know, or th- those type of things. But uh um, me and Peter both have uh, been a part of uh, a ministry that, that works with guys uh, with these areas of what we would call sexual immorality biblically. And um, so this is what we've done for a long period of time. So we kind of like reading even uh, what we would call sec- secular publications a little bit and see how they do this. This one, uh, again, is by Dr. David Lay, who... Um, um, we've known quite a bit. And this one says, according to a recent publication, the International Classification of Disease uses a coding manual in healthcare, used as a, he- he- uh, a code in healthcare, may very well include a diagnosis called compulsive sexual behavior disorder. So, of course, proponents of sex addiction are rejoicing, claiming final vindication of their beliefs. So basically, we understand what that's saying, right? Mm -hmm. There's always this argument for those that are listening of, uh, is there such a thing called sex addiction? And what's amazing to me is it seems like if something gets into some specific manual, then it is. (laughs) (laughs) Right? Yeah. It seems to be the way that we think, right? <laughs> I know, which isn't really, should be probably the case, right? Mm, no. <laughs> so as, as people, proponents of the Bible, it, it, it for us, there's a standard um, of, you know, sex, se- sensuality, sexuality, that we're always kind of looking at our lives and going, hey, are we meeting the standards? And it's a God standard, right? Mm-hmm. So in, if we're not, then then um, then we go, hey, we got a problem. But uh, if you don't have uh, a biblical standard, then I guess what they're trying to do is figure out what is a right or wrong standard and what category those behaviors fit into as far as uh, any kind of care um, that people receive. I guess this matters too, probably when it comes to like insurance, right? Stuff like that. Probably, <laughs> you know, where so, uh, I if guess you have like a diagnosable disorder, then it probably would be easier to get covered under insurance. Yeah, for like a counselor and stuff. So it does kind of make it. It does make some sense, <laughs> I guess, for people that insurance, right? I, I guess <laughs> is that what this is all about? <laughs> probably. <laughs> so this podcast is going to be on insurance. It's <laughs> so funny. So it says if this article is accurate. Compulsive Sexual Behavioral Disorder, or just CSBD, will be included in the ISD-11 section on impulsive disorders, not the group of addictive and substance use disorders. So it'll be classified as an impulsive disorder, Hmm. okay? Not under addictive and substance use disorders, which I kind of like myself. Um, I think we've we would agree with, with that. Mm-hmm. Whether these behaviors can or should be described as an addiction is far from supported or accepted. There has been a substantial advocacy regarding the great risk of overdiagnosis and pathologizing 
What does that word pathologizing mean? Does that mean like putting in a category? I don't know. When you I, I pathologize. Yeah, I don't know what a pathology is. I think it's like, uh, you know, like saying, oh, you, you are in this category. Yeah. Right? Maybe, yeah. Um, <laughs> and then this is the, this is the, this is how we fix that. Right. You know, it's like a whole process. Right. Of diagnosis and how to get rid of it or yeah. whatever. Um, uh, so pathologizing, which is inherent in the concept of sex addiction and the lucrative sex addiction treatment industry. Um, he had to put that in there. <laughs> <laughs> I and many brilliant colleagues have been leading voices of some of this advocacy, and our advocacy appears to have been quite effective. There is a great number of exclusions built into the diagnosis which precisely reflect our advocacy. So D Dr. David Lay is coming from the perspective that um, he wrote the famous book, uh, pretty famous now, um, There's No Such Thing as Sex Addiction. So it's kind of contrary to what a lot of even Christian, the reason why we're talking about it is because in the Christian world, it seems like we're inundated more with this idea of sex addiction all the time. Right. Where, and it's always, it's always self-diagnosed, right? Right. <laughs> Where someone's like, dude, I'm a mess, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And it's not, it doesn't, you know, it's kind of weird, but usually people don't come to me anyway, I don't know about you, but, and they just kind of go, um, like man, I, I like, I just find it like fascinating. I'm real compulsive in this. Yeah. Usually, it always the term addictions. I think on everybody's mind is that is that what you get to? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, it's, it probably will come up at some point. Like they'll use that term at, at some point in our conversation. Yeah, I was just talking to a guy the other day, and it's just and it was kind of interesting because he was like. Um, you know, man, Peter, and he used you, he's like, yo, Peter, you know, he like, he's, you know, he got it all licked down. He's all like, got it all together and stuff. It was great. And, you know, and he's like, I'm addicted, man. And <laughs> I don't know where you got that. I was, just like, <laughs> I was just like, I don't know, man. You got to go talk to Peter. <laughs> you know, but uh, they always, you know, addiction sometimes is, I guess the reason I bring that up is because sometimes we use the term addiction to, uh, almost like compare where right. each other is at right like you know like you don't you don't struggle with something you know you're not addicted i struggle with something i'm addicted yeah you know um but i'm not addicted like that guy down the road <laughs> who, <laughs> who's who's doing this yeah you know it's like there's different levels <laughs> of different it. levels of addiction i guess <laughs> i'm severely addicted <laughs> you're kind of addicted <laughs> it's kind of like that movie right where it's uh, i'm a little bit dead <laughs> you know it's mostly dead, <laughs> mostly dead. <laughs> so um so this is kind of uh then it, uh, so he has these bullet points okay so compulsive sexual behavior disorder should not be diagnosed when the psychological distress over sexual behaviors are due to moral conflict or disapproval based on social rejection of these desires. Hmm. So the great many bisexual men labeled as sex addicts because their church, wives, and therapists view the same sex desires as unhealthy, and that man wishes he did not have these desires that man can't be diagnosed as having compulsive sexual behavior disorder. Hmm. Okay. So which is kind of, so if someone is, from what I gather, if someone's having a behavior, hmm. a sexual behavior, and they're having distress over it because of, um, what their church says about it, it's wrong. And they're distressed about it. They're mm -hmm. like freaking out. Man, I'm blowing it. You know, um, I'm disobeying God. That can't be diagnosed as, you know, compulsive sexually, sexual behavior disorder. Mm. Um, so... Um, psychological distress over sexuality alone does not warrant diagnosis of CSBD. So again, the many sex addiction therapists rendering this diagnosis based solely upon their patients or their wives' feelings about their sexual desires cannot eth 
ethically render a diagnosis of CSBD. <laughs> Why do you say that? Well, it makes sense. You mm -hmm. know, so basically if like, uh, if my wife cheated on me, it'd be much easier for me to label her something than for me to like kind of wrestle with the fact that maybe our marriage just isn't that great. You know, maybe there's some issues that we need to work through. You know, it's uh, to put it another way, it's like, you know, if my wife cheats on me, um, I kind of have one of two options as a man. I could either say it's all her fault and label her something like an, a sex addict. Like, cause if I label her a sex addict, or label or anything like that, it takes 100% of the blame off of me and it puts it onto her. But if I sit down with my wife, I'm like, well, let's think about this, let's talk about it. There's probably gonna be some stuff in my own behavior that's gonna come out that needs to be worked on, right? None of it will excuse what she did, but ultimately it will probably reflect some negative behaviors that I have as well. And we're both gonna have to work on stuff. And since I don't like to do that, I would rather, like I said, just, just diagnose someone. So I think, I think it's really cool that he says that, you know what I mean? That he's just like, you know, that if, if I'm a spouse, I can't just be like, man, she sucks. She's got this disorder and that's why she cheated on me. You know, I, mm -hmm. he says that it has to literally be the disorder. I can't just say it cause I feel like it. You know? Yeah. And I kind of like that when we go back to the first bullet point again, should, uh, this should not be diagnosed when the psychological distress over sexual behaviors are due to moral conflict or disapproval on social rejection of these desires. Right. Um, so the, um, I kind of like that too, because I kind of like the idea that just because you have these desires and you're distressed over the desires doesn't necessarily mean that you have compulsive sexual behavior disorder. Right. You right. know, um, you know, instead, you know, maybe there's other things we can talk about, Yeah. you know, um, you know, and it's kind of weird. I was thinking about this the other day is that when you have a behavior that causes distress, you know, either we, we are going to change the behavior or we have to create environment, which the behavior functions well in. Right. Right. Yeah. Those two things have to, like, something's got to give, you know. So a lot of times when people have distress, psychological distress over, uh, like, maybe their masturbation or their viewing of porn, um, you know, the conflict seems to, in my mind, come from either they're, they're neglecting their conscience, like their standards, um, and they're, they don't want to conform to those things um, or they're having trouble conforming to those things. Um, and so that's creating the distress because they're constantly like, oh, man, I blew it again yeah. and I blew it again. And what the, I guess what you mean when you say you blew it again is that you did not uphold the standard. Right. Right. Yeah. So, you know, it, as in Christianity, we have a standard, a pretty high standard. I would say it's probably one of the higher <laughs> ethical standards. Yeah. Um, and that is, you know, f you know, let there not be a hint of sexual immorality in your life in the book of Ephesians yeah. chapter four. Let there not be a hint, you know. Um, yeah. <laughs> we go, yeah, that's the standard. And then we go, man, we blew it, meaning we don't meet the standard. So that can cause distress. And so some people, this distress keeps building and building and building and building to where they put a label on them. Right. And so what, what they're saying is that that necessarily shouldn't happen. Right. Right. So it's, it actually kind of reminds me of this uh, interview I heard of. You, you probably remember Kurt Cobain. Oh, uh, yeah. You know, Kurt Cobain had an interview. Uh, I think it was with Mike Wallace. I can't remember who it was with. But anyway, uh, in the in the interview, he was talking to Kurt Cobain about his music. And, you know, those of you guys who have never heard Nirvana, pretty popular when I was a kid. You know? Oh, yeah. But, uh, uh, you know, it's, pre it's grunge rock. You know, it's pretty depressing music a lot. Grunge it, rock. You know? <laughs> and uh, the, he was kind of asking him about his music, about, like, where he got the inspiration for it, why he was so depressed. And uh Kurt Cobain went over his childhood and being in high school and how he felt like he never really fit in and uh the interviewer asked him they're like well did you have any like sexual issues like were you gay or anything and he was just like you know what he's like there was a time in my life where I really hoped I was gay and they're <laughs> like they're like what do you mean he's like 
well, I just never really felt like I fit in. So he's like, so if I was gay, at least I'd have a reason for that. <laughs> you know? and, then, and the interview just kind of laughed. And I laughed about it too, where it's like, I, I feel like that's what uh, kind of like what David Lay is getting at in this article as well, <laughs> where it's like someone's bummed because they don't mat- match the standard. And in their mind, they think like everyone else is, uh-huh. you know? So they have this, this depression, this guilt, this shame over what they're doing. And so they start to believe like, well, there must be something wrong with me. And so it's almost like the diagnosis becomes like a, like something that they seek after. Like they want to be diagnosed as something to give like an explanation for why they're a mess, you know, like, oh, like it makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Where, you know, maybe Romans 3.23 is not enough, (laughs) you know, because that says all of short, fallen short of the glory of God. And, um, you know the 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 biblical doctrine of sin is that there is actually um, that we're not just sinners, but that we are um, by nature um, it's inbreded in us. Yeah. <clears throat> we are sinful. Yeah. Um, so it's not just a a verb that we're sinning, yeah. but it's like a noun. Yeah. It's what we are. Right. You know, um, and and so you know, meeting not meeting the standard, I wouldn't have to make up. You know, I wouldn't have to try to figure out at all. Like, oh, why am I not meet? Why am I not meeting the standard? You know, of God's perfection. Why am I? You know, why? You know, uh, do I do what I do? Mm-hmm. And I had a meeting with someone the other day, and they asked that very exact question. I wonder why I do what I do. I wonder why I go to these things you know, these sexual things. And my answer was, is that, well, you can, you can go to people and try to find that out, you know, if you want, but I think you might just go down this long trail and I'm not, I don't know, like, what do you, what are you trying to figure out? You know, cause a lot of people come to us and I think they're always like that. Mm. Um, but to me, it's like, can't the person who's into gambling go, I wonder why I gamble? Or can't the person who drink go, I wonder why I drink? Or, I mean, we could all, I think, say that about something in our life. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Where it's like, uh, I think King David helps us out, you know, in Psalm 51, where, you know, he's just biffed it pretty bad sexually. And uh, his explanation is, I think, the same for all of us. He says, I was brought forth in iniquity. You know, means that like for David, he's like, well, yeah, I I do wrong things. But if you were to ask David, like, why do you do those wrong things? He would say, well, because I'm, I'm bent, you know, like I'm, I'm bent. There's, there's maybe some uh, issues and pains of David's life that doesn't exactly help his issues. But if you took all those issues away, he would still be bent, you know? So like for, for someone like me, it's like, I could look at, some of my insecurities and my selfishness and I could look at, um, you know, different things that happened to me as a kid and different things that happened to me as a teenager. And I could look at those things and I say, they certainly didn't help my sexual issues. And as God deals with them, I'm certainly, it's better for me. But if you take all those away, I'm still a mess. You know, I'm still not going to meet the standard. You know what I mean? Like there's still going to be areas where I fall short and uh, getting rid of those um, those things doesn't necessarily bring me closer to God either. What's interesting too is that even if you make up your own standard, where you know before I was a Christian, I had my own an, another standard yeah. for my sexuality, and then sometimes I would cross it and I'd feel a little bummed, yeah. you know, because I broke my own standard yeah. <laughs> of it. So whenever someone says, "Well, hey, I got to get into an environment that accepts my sexuality." so I can feel better, so I can deal with distress. Yeah. It's just really temporary because really you're just going into another another environment that has another set of standards. Yeah. And now you're just being conformed into that, that community's set of standards. Yeah. And so we all have choices as far as what community we're gonna be in yeah. and what standards we're gonna live by or yeah. we're gonna say that we're gonna live by. Yeah, you know, so um, it's it, it's you're under an illusion if you think that you can get rid of all the standards yeah. 
like every single standard because in making in making your uh, or by saying hey I'm not for Christianity standard I think that's ridiculous and it hurts people because it puts people in a place of distress well you're just making another standard it's con it's contradictory because you're right. just you're making another standard right and yeah the person might not have distress anymore because now they're going off of your standard <laughs> you know yeah of of it. now that that thing's accepting yeah. But who's to say they're not going to break that set of standards either? Yeah. Since they broke the previous one. <laughs> you know, it's really funny to me. Like I was, uh, I was talking about this to one of the students at Gap yesterday, where I was like, you know, what what Freud and a lot of these psychologists believed is that the issue that we have fundamentally as people is that we have, um, we have these, like you said, these standards that were kind of put upon us, and these things that we think about ourselves, and so the way to free us is to kind of free us from all these these entanglements. So it's like, oh, if you struggle with trauma, well, it's like, well, let's work on that and get to, to the place where you don't care. Or if like, oh, if you struggle with guilt, well, let's work on that and get you to the place that you don't care. And it's really funny to me because like, that's what psychologists initially are like trying to do, right? If you have issues with, you know, eating disorders or something like that, they're gonna sit down with you and be like, you know, just don't care what other people think about you. Um, but the issue is, is that if you take that to its logical conclusion, there is a group of people that really don't care and they're called sociopaths. <laughs> so it's like, is, are they better off because they really don't care about what people think right. about them or what well, they do? Well, they just would find, they would just get into another diagnosis yeah. in the CSBD. <laughs> That's <No>. right. <laughs> so it's like, you know, I, I always laugh, you know, when, when people say that, cause it's like, it's like we want to be kind of sociopaths, but we want to be like functional ones. You know, it's like, you know, you want to be like a dude who doesn't care what people think, but you need to care a little about what people think. You yeah. Know? Yeah, it's so true. So what we're saying is that, you know, by moving away from one standard, it's not that you're getting out of out of standards completely. You're just moving into another. Yeah. And and. And so you just, you kind of have a new diagnosis, <laughs> you know, and the treatment for that, that, you know, for, for our issues, um, puts us into another diagnosis, <laughs> um, meaning there's other issues that could, that, uh, now happen. Um, so, and to me, it's like, uh, to me, it just logically, it's like a logical suicide of sorts, you know, yeah. where, where, um, either, either I'm going to. You know, and, and the biblical idea is not to be conform, or uh, uh, yeah, not to be conformed to the image of Christ, but to be transformed. Right. And it's really the idea of a transformation um, to the standard. Um, meaning, meaning, it's it, you know, I can't just brass knuckle it and go, I need it, I'm gonna do it, I'm gonna do it, I'm gonna do it. Um, that's not the biblical way at all. Um, uh, under under the work of Jesus Christ, there's this working of the Holy Spirit that is to come into our life and do a work of transforming us as we surrender right. and submit and lay our lives down, count our lives as nothing, and 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 that the Christ life would live in us. Right. Um, this kind of thing, and that would be it. Would be a transformation to the standard. So. Um, um, you know, where it, in a sense it would be more natural, I guess, right? Yeah, yeah. We're like, you know, what our society has done is we've we've thrown out the word God, but we're still doing what all religions do. Where what all religions are trying to do is essentially they're trying to get back to Eden. You know, they might not use that, those words, but every single one of us as human beings, we realize that there is a way that things ought to be, and there's a way that things are. And we all want to get to the place where things are as they ought to be. But the only solution that we've come up with as humanity is work at it, you know, work harder, understand what that, that, uh, that standard is. And you keep working at it until we get closer and closer and closer. But the idea is that you'll never get there. Only in Christianity do we believe that, you know, there is a place, there is a kingdom where things are as they ought to be. And the solution to our problem isn't us making it to that kingdom. It's that king coming down to us and dying for us and then indwelling us with his power and his Holy Spirit and that by him we become more like his kingdom. Um, but that's what really separates us from all sorts of uh, different belief systems where, you know, like with David Lay, it's like, yeah, um, you know, with the point that he made, which is a good one, where he's like, you know, if I have some sort of a standard that I fall short of, I'm going to be filled with guilt and stress. 
but like, what's the solution for that? We'll find another standard where you don't feel guilty anymore and then you'll be okay. Well, you won't find one. Only Christianity really gives you the solution to it where it's like, it gives you the standard. It tells you that nobody makes it. And it ultimately tells you that that person lived the standard. There's a person that lived the standard, gave up that perfection for you and has forgiven you for not making it right. Forgiven you for not doing that. And that through him, you're becoming more and more like what you ought to be. But it's no longer a uh, it's no longer an outward uh, an outward effort, but it's an inward transformation, as you said. Yeah. Yeah. It's something that, you know, the Bible has a doctrine called, you know, the doctrine of imputation. Um, and it, it kind of goes with the idea of the doctrines of sin. Uh, that just as sin has been charged to our account, in a sense, we're all sinners um, through uh, the first human beings and the first male human, Adam, uh, we all are sinners. So that through Christ and his perfection of meeting the standard, we have been imputed his perfection right. through faith as well. And so now we, we look, now when we look at our the the perfect standard uh we we no longer look at it like oh my gosh i'm i'm blowing it to the standard now we look at that standard and we go wow you know christ through what christ has done the father sees us as if right. i were that standard yeah and so we kind of get blown away in Christianity where we go, whoa, dude, that's hardcore for me to think about <laughs> that God sees me as already having the perfect standard. Right. And so um, that working of love and that working of, of uh, um, that happens in that kind of relationship with, with the Father now, that there is peace now we have with God right. um, is all a part of that transformation of actually what we do right. and um, and how we continue to progress and work on our things. But we work on it always from a perspective of, of acceptance right. instead of uh, a perspective of rejection, where I tend to think most of the people that come to us always come to us with the perspective of rejection. Right. Right? Right. And that's, that's the issue. You know, I, I like what C.S. Lewis said it in Mere Christianity where he talks about repression where he's talking about how people are afraid that if you give into a Christian worldview, then you'll have repressed sexual desires. And he said, like, you misunderstand what the word repressed means. Repression means that you refuse to acknowledge something. So it's like something's there. You're just refusing to acknowledge it. And so you repress it. And he's like, and when you repress things, it does have a lot of negative consequences on you. He says, Christianity doesn't teach you to repress anything. It teaches you to accept it and to fight it, right? So to understand, like, yeah, you know, I do like watching porn, you know. I wish I didn't, but I do, you know. That's just the truth. Like, it is enjoyable to me. Um, but therefore, just because I enjoy doing something or just because I want to do something doesn't mean I have to do it, right? So when, uh, as Paul says in Galatians 5, 17, the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh, so you don't do what you want to do. Right. So what he's saying is that no matter what, you're not doing what you want to do because there's always going to be a part of you that doesn't want to do something. So if you do the righteous thing and you resist sin, your flesh won't be happy. Right. But if you give in to your flesh, your righteous side won't be happy because that's that's God in you. So it's like no matter what, you're not doing what you want to do. But that is the Christian life. The Christian life is about self-control, not about just being free to do whatever you want like you just feel great no matter what you do yeah right yeah absolutely you know it, it, there's always that question of why do you want to stop doing what you want to stop doing right you know that every person has to ask themselves you know when someone comes and sees me and says yeah i, I um um uh, i hate doing what i'm doing and i it's always good to ask the question well why yeah. you know why do you not like it you know, well, it bothers my da 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 da. It bothers this, or I'm bummed at that, or I could lose my job, and you know these kind of things. And you kind of see the focus. You know, Christianity kind of has a narrow view of things in the sense of of the the, the only really good answer biblically to be was is because you know um, I'm made to glorify God, right? And this doesn't glorify God, right? And but y I would say a very small percentage of people that 
that we've worked with over the years have thought about it that way. Yeah, no, you're right. And, and that's the main issue where, you know, I like that he's talking about this idea of compulsive issues because um, I would file uh, sexual issues under compulsive behaviors because what we're talking about when we're talking about compulsive behaviors, we're just talking about any particular um, area of what we would call as Christian sin. He wouldn't call it that, but we would call it a sin. If you take any area of sin and you make it your focus, it's going to lead to compulsive behavior. So for instance, if I take my health, if I'm like, man, my health is what I'm living for. I want to look good. I want to feel good all the time. It's like, dude, I'm going to be compulsive in my health care now, right? I might turn into a hypochondriac because I'm always worried about if I'm sick or not. Or I might turn into a germaphobe because I'm not going to touch anything that other people are going to touch because I don't want to get sick. Or maybe I'm going to be spending all my time at the gym and I'm not going to be able to eat certain foods. I'm going to be working out and it's going to make me neglect my family, neglect, right? And that could be just as damaging as the dude who is viewing tons of porn all the time, right? It could break my family apart just as easily as pornography could. Or if my work is going to be everything, I'm like, man, my job, that's, that's everything to me. And I, I do that. I'll, again, I'll ignore my family and it'll b break apart that way too. So, you know, when we say like, oh, I want to get free from porn and you ask them why, essentially whatever answer they give you is the sin that they're using to try to combat porn. <laughs> so they're like, oh, I want to do it for my family. And I'm like, oh, okay, so your family's your idol and you want to elevate your family above everything else so that you don't view porn for them, right? Now, they would never say it that way, but in reality, that's what they are saying. I want, I want my family to be so important to me that I don't view porn anymore. It's like, well, you can do that, but that doesn't bring you closer to God. You know, or you could say, I want to save my job. Well, it's like, okay, what you're saying is you want your job, your career to be the most important thing in your life. And that's why you don't want to do it. The only way that you can actually succeed, uh, and this is the main issue, is if you do say like, no, like God is the reason. I want him to be first in my life. And the reason why we as Christians believe that is because we think that ultimately God is the only person that could actually satisfy our souls and bring us closer to him. So when you make God the ultimate reason, he puts everything in the proper alignment. And therefore, you're going to have the same desires, but you're going to be able to have the proper um, appreciation for them as opposed to putting them in that compulsive category where now it's like I have a job, but it's just a job, you know, like it's not my life. I have sex with my wife, but that's not my everything. You know, I'm not I'm not funneling all my joy and gratitude into sex with my wife. And like that's my that's my completely end all be all to all situations and problems. You know, it's not my health. It's not my right. I, I enjoy and I have all these things, but it's not my it's not my thing. You know, it's yeah. not the reason I'm alive. Yeah. You know, what's also interesting about standards when you're looking at like moral standards is that, you know, everybody, no matter what environment they want to be in uh, sexually, um, they all have a standard, a list of rules and, and what they should and should not do, the oughts and the ought nots. Right. And everybody has a law and even religious people have a law. But Christianity is the only one that says, no, we're going to do away with these laws. And instead, we're just going to abide in a person. Right. We're just going to look to a person. And, and so that's what we're doing now is we're, we're beholding the not, not a, a set of laws, but we're just beholding a person and the character of that person. Yeah. And, and that is what the Bible tells us in the New Testament transforms our life mm. is through beholding the standard, but the standard is no longer a list of do's and don'ts. Right. It's, and see, everybody is doing the religious standard thing, right. whether you're in LGBTQ, whether you're in whatever you want to be in. Right. You're all in a standard of a list of laws. Right. And so you all have your Ten Commandments. Yeah. You know, everybody's got the Ten Commandments. Christianity is the only one that finally gets off the bus yeah. <laughs> and says, you know what, we're not even going to do standards anymore. What we're going to do is just focus on a person. Right. And, and that person lives up. He, he's the one who does the standards. Right. He's the one who can do all the lists, yeah. you know, the commandments. Yeah. But we look to that person and we're told in the book of John to abide, right. John 15, abide in the vine. So that's the relationship now we have. That's why Christianity always calls it like, do you have a relationship with Jesus? Do right. you abide in Christ? Are you looking at Christ? And as we're looking at Christ, we behold 
we become uh you know fascinated with christ mm. we we um you know i was listening to a guy speak on um a, i think it was adoration and he said the word i think it was from the latin maybe he was getting this but he said it means mouth to mouth and and he, he said real intimate yeah. You know, to adore, to look, gaze at, you know, to stare at, to be right in the face of. Right. And I thought, whoa, dude, that's so cool, yeah. you know. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, to adore the character of Christ, Yeah, you know, changes our mind. It renews our mind. It makes us go, whoa. It know? does, because he's, he's better, and that's the whole point. You know, I, I think it was John Newton uh, wrote Amazing Grace. He wrote another hymn that I think is actually cooler in a lot of ways. But at the, at the end of the hymn, he says... Um, to see to see my sin paid for in Christ turns uh, a slave into a child and duty into choice. And like I, I always like that line because it's exactly what you're saying, where it's like it's no longer about meeting a standard, but it's about living for a person. And like it's like in my marriage, it's not that I'm not striving to be better, but it's that my striving to be better in my marriage is not like a bummer. Like, it's not like, oh, I have to get to the standard or else my wife is going to leave me. You know, like she's already with me. right? She already made vows to me. She's already with me. I already have her. But the issue isn't that I'm scared I'm going to lose her. The issue is that I love her so much that I want our marriage to be better. You know, so when I'm when I'm falling short, quote unquote, I'm not like, oh, I'm like the worst. I'm instead just like, man, like I want it to be better. You know, like it's more enjoyable when I'm closer to her mm. as opposed to further away. And that's the same thing with God. That's why Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, it is the love of Christ that compels us. Where he's like, man, like Jesus is so cool that like when I blow it, like, yeah, I know that there was a cost to my sin and Jesus had to pay it. So that bums me out. But ultimately, I know I'm forgiven. Yeah, so when you read, you know, it's always good that when you read passages like in Ephesians chapter 4, where it does talk about, you know, let there not be a hint of sexual immorality in you, um, that is the standard. Mm -hmm. But there's only one that meets the standard. Jesus. And that is Christ. <laughs> now, it says we are being made, in, we are being made molded, if you will, into the new man, the mm -hmm. image of Christ. Colossians tells us that, that we're being made into that image. Um, you know, and that's, that's great. And it tells us to do, um, you know, actions of being renewed in the spirit of our mind uh, in this newness of life. But you always have to remember that whenever it says like flee youthful lust, those, you know, that is the standard. Right. Those are the standards and Christ met that standard. Right. So now we behold Christ and we go, man, Jesus, and we become more in love with him for meeting that standard on our behalf. And, and what we do is we renew our mind in Christ. We study Christ. We look at Christ. We're, we gaze. We adore. We, we have that closeness with Christ. And it's through that closeness that we, we learn and we become mm -hmm. like, you know. Um, that's why, you know, um, whenever you're hanging out with someone, you tend to take on the mannerisms of that person. Anybody who's married kind of knows this because when you get married, you end up becoming like your spouse in so <laughs> many ways. Yeah. yeah, I find myself just uh, laughing sometimes at myself because <laughs> I'll just be sitting on the couch, you know, and I'll go, man, I'm like doing what my wife likes to do, yeah. or, you know, just kind of chill. Yeah. <laughs> and I never was like that, you know, so I, I tend to be more the hyper guy, you know, tend to be more like, hey, I got to do something or. Um, <laughs> Might just be old age, man. <laughs> yeah, it could be. Yeah, totally. Um, but you no, know, the food and everything, uh, it's amazing. I remember when she first took me to sushi uh we moved out <laughs> to tucson never had sushi in my life she took me to sakura and um and got me sushi and i was like whoa what a trip you know and <laughs> but it's even things like that you know yeah. when you're close to someone you become like them that's true so hey let me read to you a couple more of these and then we'll end the podcast it says self-identity as a porn or sex addict is not enough to diagnose compulsive sexual behavior disorder right okay so self-identity most of the people that come to us are self-identified right so they're coming to us and saying hey i'm a sex addict da, 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 da. but even if they are identified by another person it's usually <laughs> you know it's usually kind of suspect you know yeah that's right this is hugely important in the face of the sex addiction industry which encourages and preys upon people self-identifying as sex or porn addicts it says, so those dog uh, dodgy on like sex addiction tests. 
Have you ever taken one of those? I've not. Let's find out right now. <laughs> We're gonna find out. I'm pretty if, sure we would be sex addicts. We're no, finding no, out okay. if Peter's a sex addict <laughs> right now. Um, let's see. What would we put? A sex, sex addiction test, test online. Um, let's see. Oh, here it is, right here. There's, there's a, there's a, here, here's. Uh, let's see. Sex addiction test. Center for healthy sex. <laughs> let's see. Okay. Um, How many questions is it? Oh gosh, this one's too big. This it's one's like, like forty-five questions. <laughs> Isn't there anything a little smaller? Or is it all just gigantic? Can you just ask me one question? I know. <laughs> Do you love sex? <laughs> sex adding. <laughs> I thought they were a little shorter, you know. But I don't know. Maybe they're all like really huge. You know. I don't know. Here, this one's the ranch. The sex. Uh, oh, this one's. This one, well, that, that's not too long. Let's just go through a couple of these. Uh, Were you abused, emotionally neglected as a child? Oh, gosh. I mean, I guess I could fall into that category. Gosh. Because I mean, okay. like, that's yes. a broad Yes, you were. That's you a broad just admitted thing. It. Yeah. You just said, yes, he was. It's very broad. Do you regret the amount of time you spend online in online sexual chats, viewing porn, webcam sex, or chas ch chatting with a prostitute? I do. <laughs> I do regret that. <laughs> I haven't done most of those things on those lists, but I do regret. The you regret I've done. it. I do regret it. Did your parents have ongoing sexual or romantic problems? Uh, not, not that I know of. Okay. <laughs> Do you feel preoccupied or distracted by your sexual thoughts or activity? Uh, yep. Yes, he does, <laughs> man. Have you, um, have you on multiple occasions kept hidden or lied about money that you spent on having sex? No. Oh, he didn't <laughs> say that? no to that one. <laughs> does your significant other friend or family ever worry or complain about your sexual behavior? Yes. <laughs> Do you have trouble stopping your sexual behavior when you know it is appropriate and dangerous? Yes. Oh, yes, totally. That, okay, so there's like, oh, there's an, oh my God, there's like 20 more questions. <laughs> but I guarantee you are. <laughs> because you've already, you've already listed enough, but... Um, I mean, some of these questions are, have you ever been uh, sexual with a minor? You know, when when you do have sex, do you feel depressed afterward or regret it? I wonder if this is like a sting from the FBI. Yeah. Like you take yeah, this totally. test and then they just ding you as a <laughs> sex predator and they, they grab you. They come at you. <laughs> hey, dude, if someone's knocking on the door right now, I'm going to say this is Peter. <laughs> But the issue with that question is it says, did you ever have sex with a minor? But it didn't specify if you were a minor when you had sex. Yeah, yeah. So it's like you might have had sex with a minor, but you might have been a minor too. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, all these things are based off of a standard. Right. And what we all have to understand is even these tests are based off of a standard. Right. <laughs> you know? And and thing is, is what some people are doing in the field is they're saying, hey, let's, let's change the standard. Right. So let's say, hey, it's not it's not wrong so much to view porn, like it's not it's it's not so much wrong to be bisexual and want to have sex with um, a male and female. Right. It's not wrong to so much. Let's make honesty the standard. <coughs> yeah. So let's just say, hey, are you honest with your sexual uh, things? Yeah. And you go yes, <laughs> then you hit. And results <laughs> you're good <laughs> you're good you know yeah. good 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 because you now the standard has been are have you just been honest <laughs> right yeah so that's kind of where we're going it seems like <laughs> what we're trying to do in some in some ways it's funny uh this woman named esther perel she does a lot of like marriage counseling stuff she's written some books on it she's very insightful you know it's very cool to hear her talk but she talked about she studied um, swingers for a while, like people who have marriages where they are allowed to have sex with other people. And she said in most of those marriages, there's been infidelity. And you're like, how could there be infidelity when the whole rule of the marriage is you can cheat on your spouse? Because the standard Cause, now has changed. Because that's right. And so what she'll say is there's infidelity because even though people are free to cheat, they still lie about it because there's still there's still that rush you get from being being wrong, you know. So. That's right. So if you make if you make everything that's evil good, <laughs> what she's saying is that there's still gonna there's still gonna be something. There's, something, there's still something that right. Yeah. 
<laughs> you can't. Everybody thinks that if they just be accepted, if they just can be accepted, then they're all going to be okay. That's you know? right. <laughs> but it's still you get accepted and you just go, oh man. It's just like you know when you're growing up and you go, man, I'm going to get my nose ring. I'm going to get my ears pierced. I'm going to get my this. I'm going to wear my pants like this. I'm going to listen to heavy metal music or you know you get into your your subcultures because you think, oh man, if I'm just accepted, yeah, then I'm going to feel good. And then you find that that's not how it worked. That's not how it works for Nirvana singer. <laughs> it didn't work for anybody, you know? Yeah. Yeah, no matter how much you went to be accepted, no matter how much Anthony Bordeaux, you know, you know, went his directions and thought he was being accepted or, or liked or anything like that, none of that mattered. Yeah. It, there's always something else, yeah. you know? Something else is going to get in the way. Yeah. And, and it's kind of interesting um, uh, it says in the book of Romans some really interesting things in chapter one, but it, it talks about that whole idea that, you know, what bit, what may be known of God um, is written in us, yeah. you know, meaning there's something, there's something deep within us. And some people say, well, Hey, that's just this longevity of the standard being, but the book of Romans says, no, this is how we're wired. Yeah. Um, that we have a wired of a standard. Yeah. So even if you do find a, a culture that accepts you yeah. and, and changes the standard so that your behavior now is, is, is good behavior within yeah. that new standard, there's still something in you that's going to say no. Yeah. And, you know. You know, the, the craziest thing about all this is like, you know, and me and you have talked about it a lot, is that when you when you make things like the sex addiction test and stuff like that, the major uh, damage that it can do to someone is when you try to file yourself under a category, um, you may relate to some of the category, but when you file yourself under a category and you identify as something, that means that you are going to start to mold your character to the negative attributes that have been placed on you. So uh, Barry Schwartz, who is a social psychologist, he said, social psychologists have the greatest amount of pressure put upon them, um, greater than any other scientist on earth. And he says, because, because if a physicist comes up with a theory of the universe that turns out to be wrong, he's like, it's really not gonna ruin anyone's life. He's like, but if I come up with a theory of society that's wrong, it might ruin a lot of people's lives. And he's so right, you know? So like if I, as a psychologist or as a social scientist or whatever, say like sex addiction is real. And if you have set and here, take this test. And if you take this test, then it will show if you're a sex addict or not. And then I'm like, and this is what a sex addict looks like. Now, if someone takes that test, they're going to look at what, and they are come up as a sex addict. They're gonna look at everything that's under the category of sex addict, and they're gonna start relating to it. And like even in that test where it's like talking about have you had sex with a minor? I'm sure there's stuff about child porn on that test and stuff like that, where it's like if I believe that that's what sex addicts do, sex addicts, you know, are pedophiles and sex addicts go these directions and sex addicts will go those directions and stuff like that. Then I'll start believing stuff about myself that might not even be true. Right. It might be that I just like a particular type of porn and I will never go after that kind of stuff. Or it might be that I do like that kind of stuff, but I won't like other kind of stuff, right? Yeah. Whenever we funnel someone into a category, we've limited their potentialities. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And, you know, sometimes we just get so stuck on the diagnosis, right, of everything, too. We're just like, man, and it's tough, it seems like, for us, you know, to, um, you know, a lot of this distress comes from this just constant conflict of of self-diagnosis right that goes on you know i i am this this is who i am right this is what i am and, and for a christian you know the identity is always to be found in jesus christ i mean it's so it kind of gets us off of our identity it does and and it gets away from something that you and i talk about a lot and and i really think it does boil down to kind of like a laziness or one of the things the the greatest tragedies of the psychological movement kind of moved forward by, um, you know, Freud and, and people like that is that they basically created an almost assembly line kind of system where they're like, all right, come in, I'm going to diagnose you and then we're going to treat that diagnosis and then you're out. So it's like he almost tried to like remake the hospital, right? Like an actual doctor's office, but for psychology 
But the issue is, like as Karl Popper said, it's kind of like a pseudoscience, right? It's not it's not 100% accurate. It's not like when a doctor diagnoses me with a disease, like there are specific treatments for that disease that will heal me, right? right? But if someone diagnoses me with a medical disorder, it's like that disorder doesn't have like a specific like this will cure you yeah right? or, or or with a, a psychological disorder that's right it, yeah it, it won't do it and sometimes the diagnosis could be wrong it and that's be, what, and that's what he's talking about when he's using that i think the pathology that's right the if yeah and and for christians it's like i think in a lot of ways we bought into that laziness where it's like if you look through the bible it's like what are the people in the bible doing well you look through the proverbs it's about daily investing into people's lives it's not about diagnosing you and then giving you a two month treatment and then be like later, you know, like you're cured, you know, and you go on your way. It's like, dude, no, I'm a, I'm going to be in an invested relationship with you for the rest of your life. And we're going to feed off one another and iron's going to sharpen iron and we're going to grow in our relationship with Christ. And there's going to be greater accountability and greater growth and greater spirituality. Right. And all those things are going to grow as a relationship grows, but it's not just like, I'm going to diagnose you, treat you, and then you're done. Right. And, and unfortunately in the church, I feel like we could fall into that, that trap where, you know, we were just talking yesterday about how some men come into our group of thinking like, oh, I got this diagnosis. I'm going to do six months in the group and then I'll be cured. And they like, they do it and then they go their way. And then we hear from two years later and their life's falling apart. And you're like, dude, that's a, you totally missed the point. You know, it's not about diagnosing and curing. It's about constantly walking with Christ in, in the things that he's given us, like these tools of accountability and counsel and all that. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, absolutely. So a uh, great podcast talking about standards, talking a little bit about the sex addiction thing. It's a good, it's a good article. Yeah. You know, kind of goes on and on and on. David you know? does have good stuff. Yeah, yeah he I does. I always appreciate it. Yeah, he <laughs> makes good points, Yeah, you know, for sure. Stuff for us certainly to think about as Christians and, you know, are we treating things the same way as everybody else is treating them? Or do we have something different to offer? You know, and should I say, do we have someone that's different to offer? Right? So anyway, thanks a lot for checking us out. Uh, we'll talk to you guys next time on the Better Pleasure Podcast. Check out runninglight.org to begin our two video series, Take Flight and Love or Lust. You can also send us questions on Twitter at Running Light or on our runninglight.org podcast page. Like us on Facebook at Running Light Ministries, Psalm 36.8. They are abundantly satisfied with the fullness of your house, and you give them drink from the river of your pleasures.